0: Welcome to She Persisted. I'm your host, Sadie Sutton. Every Friday, I post interviews about mental health, dialectical behavioral therapy, and teenage life. These episodes break down my mental health journey, teach skills to help you cope with life, and showcase testimonials from individuals, including teens just like you. Whether you've struggled yourself or just want to improve your mental fitness, this podcast is your inspiration to live a life you love and keep persisting. This week on She Persisted. This week's DBT skill is the fast skill, so when you're in an interpersonal interaction and you want to prioritize your self respect, maintain your own values, your views, your opinion of yourself in that interaction, this is the skill you use. So this acronym stands for fair, apology-free, stick to values, and truthfulness. So you stay fair to yourself. You don't over-apologize um, for the situation, any emotions you're having. You are sticking to your values, whatever those are, and you're being truthful to the situation. So doing these four things allows Allows you to maintain your values, maintain your self-respect, and not leave the interaction feeling like you over-compromised, you let yourself get too far away from your original point of view. And the reason I'm choosing this skill is because when you are asking for help and getting support, you are looking out for your own mental health, your own self-respect, you are looking out for you. So this seemed perfect for this week. So that is the fast skill. I will also link a longer episode all about the fast skill in today's description. So let's dive into it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of She Persisted. If you're new here, welcome. Hello, my name is Sadie. I'm an 18-year-old from the Bay Area and a senior in high school, but I'm about to graduate next week, and I'm an incoming freshman at the University of Pennsylvania, where I'm going to be studying psychology to hopefully one day become a clinical psychologist. So this episode is a really, really good one. This is your resource if you are a teenager looking to explore therapy, understand it better, know what your options are, educate yourself and kind of get a feel for what it's like. So before we dive into this amazing, amazing episode and I tell you a little bit more about the guest, we are going to do our Q&A. So first question is tell me more about how animals helped in your treatment. So if you had asked me this about two years ago when I was right in the middle of it, I would be like, I just miss my dog. Like that was all that was the only impact of animals in my treatment. There was horse therapy at the therapeutic boarding school I attended, but I really wasn't that into it. I really thought that I just like didn't like animals other than my own dog. And so in the past year, it's been really interesting. I have become obsessed with dogs. Of course, just like everyone, I love my dogs, but I've really just enjoyed seeing other dogs around out and about this sounds so weird as <laughs> like approaching this like it's a big confession that i i like dogs no but yeah i really have grown to like the physical comfort of animals and not ever gonna i think go anywhere down like the rodent path but dogs cats are fine love a good i love a good pet snuggle is how i'll answer that question next question how are you feeling about being finished with high school It has not hit me yet i keep being like oh i have a couple more weeks of school i have time to make up these assignments no (laughs) school's next week my first final is or graduation is next week my first final is tomorrow like the deadlines are coming up people i was writing a little like article today for my friend who's interviewing me for our high school like senior profiles in the newspaper at our school and i was kind of had this moment where i was like oh my gosh like Four years ago, I didn't think I was going to graduate high school. Now here I am going to the University of Pennsylvania. I have the podcast. I've not only gotten to graduation, but I've thrived and my life looks completely different. Like going into high school, I was so miserable, so depressed, struggling so much. So just looking at how much I've changed and... I'm in the same spot, like I'm living in the same room that I was four years ago. My family is like the same, like all of these sayings are identical to what they were like four years ago and yet I've done all this incredible, amazing work to change my belief systems and my relationships and my mindset and my habits and my skills and it's just very surreal. So it hasn't totally hit me yet and I'm really excited. I'm really happy. I am ready for the summer. I have so many good things podcast-wise that I just cannot wait for that I haven't had the time to be able to dive into because I've been really stressed out about school and finals. So like I was doing daily TikToks. That went down on my to-do list. I skipped an episode last week because school was something that I really needed to focus on. Like all of these things are like just my schedule. I'm going to have so much more time to dive into these projects and creative things that I love and then moving to college and bring you guys, bringing you guys along for all of that. And that segues right perfectly into the next question, which is when are you moving to college? And the answer is, let me look at my calendar. So my move in day is August 25th. So that is a Wednesday. So maybe we'll go up like the day before just to make sure we can like have time to like, go to CVS and get shampoo and all that kind of stuff, but that's when I'm moving. So I'm gonna bring you guys along on Instagram for all of the fun things like dorm room decorating, what I'm packing, what classes I'm taking. I am positive that I'll do like a move-in vlog or a first week at Penn vlog or even just like some kind of like short highlights so you guys can see that process. But yeah, I'm really, really excited. The next question was what universities did you apply to? So if you listen to my college applications episode, which I'll link in the description, I only applied to UPenn. UNC, Chapel Hill, and University of Oregon. And I only heard back from University of Pennsylvania and University of Oregon because UPenn was my early decision school. And so if you're familiar with the college application process, your early decision school is a binding offer. So if you get in, you go there, you agree to withdraw all your other applications from other schools. So I submitted my application for that in november and found out like end of december so i didn't hear back from unc yet because theirs came out in january the normal deadline for college applications was like january that's when you submitted all of them so i didn't get to apply to the rest of my schools but i had a list of about 15 plus schools that i was planning to apply to had early decision not worked out for me so yeah and the last question is the thing you're most looking forward to moving to college okay all the things to be completely honest my high school has been such a weird experience three different high schools three different states covid so all of the things were not normal during my high school experience so being able to have a normal college experience cannot wait being in philly cannot wait already looked up so many amazing restaurants moving in and like having my parents out to move me in can't wait decorating the dorm room can't wait like all of these Things. I just am so excited for classes, cannot wait to get back into the back to school mood and note taking and all of these things that I just really enjoy. So really everything, I just cannot wait for it to happen and to be there. And And again, we go back to these details of me feeling like When I say insecure, it's not like insecure about myself, but not like I have, like I'm not like I'm out of control. That's what I mean. So, like, being like, what if I can't get everything for my dorm room in time? Like, that is what makes me nervous, which is such an odd, random thing. So, let me know if anyone else moving to college is having like weird anxieties like that, but kind of proud of myself for like recognizing that that's because I feel out of control and unsupported. But it's good that that's like how that's coming out. And it's not like I'm like, I'm on the other side of the country, I'm out of control. It's like, How will I afford my body wash? And I'm I'm working, I'm gonna have a job, I'm doing social media management in college and podcast production assistant stuff. And so it's not like I'm going to college and not having a plan for this. It's just like those feelings make me nervous about having them. Okay. With that being said, what an introduction, folks. You can expect a lot of me being all over the place in this episode. I was so excited to record with Lindsay. So there was just like those nerves and there were so many things that I wanted to talk about and I was like oh my gosh yes okay can relate to that. That was an amazing point. Now can we follow up in three different directions? Like that was the vibe of this episode. Um so just warning you, I it I'm it's a moment. <laughs> but this week's guest is Lindsay Fleming. You might recognize her from TikTok and Instagram. She has her BA in psychology. The University of Iowa, and her master's in counseling from the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. As you'll hear in this episode, she worked in a partial hospitalization program. She worked in inpatient. So I found Lindsay on TikTok at, at @lindsay_fleming_lpc, and she spells her name L-I-N-D-S-A-Y. So if you're looking her up on TikTok, that's her username. But she has an amazing community of over 450. Thousand people following her and she does the most amazing short content about being an adolescent therapist, working with teens, understanding teen ADHD, depression, talking to parents, like everything teen mental health is her TikTok page. So I just absolutely fell in love with her content. I knew I had to get her on the podcast because we were so in line. So this has been almost six months in the making you guys, which is so exciting. But with that being said, all of her information, her website, her TikTok, your Instagram, you name it, will be in the description today. And let's dive into it.
1: Thank you so much for joining me today on She Persisted. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I mean, you're doing the work that I talk about, right? Talking about the hard stuff, being a resource for others, and really putting yourself out there being vulnerable in a way that other people can learn from you. So I think <laughs> I am just honored to for you wanting to me to be here and excited for this episode.
0: Yeah. So giving listeners a little bit of an idea of how you became a therapist, what your current practice is like, who you're working with, so they understand who they're, whose perspective they're getting.
1: Mm-hmm. So I became a therapist because I struggled a lot growing up. And I knew I wanted to work. I love working with children and teens like I knew that's what I wanted to do, and I'm dyslexic, so I struggled with school a lot. It was not my forte, and I really struggled with spelling and grammar, and some of the more nitty-gritty stuff really came at my confidence. So at first, I was like, oh, I want to be a teacher, and then I was like, there's no way I'm going (laughs) to be able to be a teacher if I don't know where to put a comma in a sentence. Mm -hmm. But and that just proves to anyone out there, I mean, I graduated grad school, and I still struggle to know where to put it, a comma in a sentence, and not everything is do. a 5 <laughs> Yeah. Um, but so essentially, I was, like, having panic attacks in middle school. I did not know what they were. My mom didn't know what that they were. She was, like, trying to help me, and we just were very lost and I saw this field where we could help people and I wanted to be there. Like I went to a few therapists, didn't, they just weren't a good fit. And so I want, I was like, there has to be a way that we can reach people. So I went to grad school. In grad school, I had one of those aha moments of like, I really hope I like this considering. Yeah. Um, but I did. And, and as soon as I had my first client, I fell in love with it. I'm like, this is, I'm so happy and grateful that I chose this career path. And even in my personal life, it has done wonders. So that's where I, where I became a therapist. And then where I'm at is so I started working at a children's hospital, the inpatient psychiatric unit. And so that is kids who... We feel cannot be safe at home, and so they'll come to our unit, and they will it's just stability. So they're just there until we think they're stable, and they can keep themselves safe, and then we will send them into another program or home. So I started there. I moved to a partial program, so that's a little lower level. You're there during the day, but you get to sleep at home, and you go home on the weekends, and really helping... Um, teens and kids get through their day and helping them practice the skills in time. Mm-hmm. And then while I was working there, I interned and worked at a few private practices and was felt ready to start my own practice. So I started my own practice in the town actually that I grew up in and I love being able to give back to the community. And now I'm currently fully in private practice and have left the hospital and doing some social media stuff. I love it. It's, it's so
0: interesting to hear from your perspective because for so much of my journey, it was like on the other side and I did the inpatient, I did the outpatient, mm-hmm. I did the P. And so to kind of totally hear what it's like from a career path and then what I'm hoping to do is just so awesome to hear and, and very inspiring.
1: No, okay
0: <laughs> So diving right into it, like I told you, my goal for this episode is for it to be your, you being the listeners, resource for finding therapy as a teen. So just starting off super basic, exploring that option, how do you know if you might want to get therapy? It might be a resource that would be helpful to you. How mm-hmm. do you even decide if that's something that you should pursue, you want to pursue, or before you even get further into the process, just kind of that first step?
1: Yeah, well, my first point that I say is I think we could all benefit from having a, a, a safe space where we reflect on ourselves we work on ourselves. Now, to totally know, agree. like, okay, <laughs> do I need a friend? Do I need <laughs> just kind of a check in or do I need therapy? I like to bring it to the fact that I think teens are struggling a lot more than they used to in the past. And we know that by the numbers suicide rates have tripled in the past 10 years, anxiety and depression has risen 70%. So we know our teens are struggling. Mm-hmm. And what I've done, I've done all these workshops, right? And I try to get like the cutting edge stuff. I'm like, we're going to do what's like new and exciting. <laughs> and every time when I give them a survey at the end, I'm like, what did you take? What was your biggest takeaway? What did you love about this workshop? They say, I did not know other teens were feeling the same way as I was. Yes, so totally. I think there's such a silent suffering going on for mm-hmm. teens right now. And then you, this is this research is before COVID. So yeah. i I have not seen the newest research, but I can only imagine that people and and we're still in that survival phase right now. Yeah. So, as things go back to normal, and as we in the fall go back to school, I think we're going to be seeing a lot of teens really struggling. Yeah. And my biggest thing is, I would rather a teen come in and say, mm, "Sometimes I'm feeling nervous, or I don't know if I need this," and we can mm-hmm. work on that now, instead of them getting into crisis mode. And now mm-hmm. they've been suffering for years and just didn't know how to ask for help, didn't know they needed help. So mm-hmm. I love that you're asking these questions and my biggest piece to know is if you're thinking that you need help, it's probably a sign that you do. <laughs> and you can always go to a therapist and it's their job to assess and tell you like, you know what? I think you could, you know, have this space call me if you need me, right? Or mm-hmm. you could they could say, you know, I think we could do like every other week. I think you need to come in every week for a little bit and then we'll see how you're feeling. So I think anytime is a good time to make an appointment, talk to your physician, go in and find a therapist who can assess if you need therapy or not. Mm -hmm. That's why we call it an intake process. We're literally seeing if you need therapy and what kind of therapy would be a good fit.
0: Yeah. So, so many directions that I kind of want to go off with this just to kind of lay it out. I want to talk about how to find a therapist. I kind of want to also talk about what therapy looks like because if you haven't experienced it before, that's a big question mark for a lot of Mm -hmm. people. You're like, do you just sit here and like they tell me what's wrong with me or do I have to tell them everything that's ever happened? So kind of those two directions. First talking about how do you find a therapist? I think there's different approaches. You could be like, parents, find me someone. You could be more hands-on, but it's a very overwhelming process. There's DBT, CBT, psychotherapy, different specialties. Mm -hmm. How do you
1: approach that? Yes, there is a lot of, and a lot of letters, right? I yes. guess it's a lot <laughs> yeah. where they're like, I don't. There's all these letters, and even after people's names, like should yes. I go to social worker? Should I go to counselor? Should I go to a psychologist? What's a psychiatrist? Like so many mm-hmm. different words that make yes. it really hard to understand. Yeah. So, starting out with how do we find a therapist? Mm-hmm. I am a full-on believer in that we are all social workers, psychologists, counselors, whatever it is. We are all trained to do therapy, right? And I feel like it's more of who's a good fit for you and who the clinician is. Mm-hmm. So my number one thing is seeing what do you want out of therapy? So if we're struggling with anxiety, that's important to know. If you feel like you're, you're worrying a lot more, if you feel like you've had some trauma and you're trying to process that, if you feel like you're feeling really down in low mood and, and depression. So the number one first thing is seeing like, what am I struggling with? What do I want out of therapy? Then we can go into, and some people don't know, and that's okay, too. Yeah. If you're like, I don't know, I just feel <laughs> off or I don't feel like myself, mm-hmm. that's okay. That's a good place to start. And then how do we find it? I'd worry less about the credentialing. So are they a social worker? Are they a counselor? Are they a psychologist? And I would focus more on what they're, like, if you think they would be a good fit for you. So mm-hmm. that that being said, you want to look at, like, their bios. You want to have questions ready to ask them. And it's always okay. What questions are held? Yes, I will tell you questions, (laughs) and it's all the details. (laughs) And it's always okay to like go to one and be like, "Oh, this is not my Mm -hmm. cup of tea. This is not my." And later in the
0: episode, I totally want to ask you how to break up with a therapist because that's
1: totally overwhelming. (laughs) Yes, it is. It is really hard. It is really hard. Mm -hmm. Um. But some places that you can go to look for therapists, the number one thing is you can go to your physicians. When you go to your physical for the year, they should Mm -hmm. have people that they recommend for therapy. Another option is the school. The school should have a list of places that they recommend, that they, they work with and that they trust. Online, there's things like Psychology Today and some other places that you can look at. My biggest thing, though, personally, is like personal referrals. Because then, you know, people who've gone to them or they know someone who's gone to them and that is what I've seen work the best for a referral basis. but I know some people totally. feel comfortable telling people they're going to therapy, and that's mm-hmm. totally okay. But I've had like my clients ask me for a referral for their friend, where I'm like, I won't see your friend. That's but exactly <laughs> you yeah. yeah, I will give. You I was some like, I love my I like. therapist.
0: Yeah. <laughs> would I send any of my friends to her? No, that would be so awkward. But she would give great
1: recommendations mm-hmm. for other people
0: that they could see, and so yeah. totally leaning on those resources.
1: Great yeah. tip. Exactly. And a side note, like, that's why therapists shouldn't see siblings, because, mm-hmm. like, if you come to me and you're telling me about you and your sister got in a fight, and then I <laughs> see your sister, like, you're gonna, I'm gonna be biased, right? And totally. it's not gonna feel safe and you're gonna be worried what I'm thinking and what they're telling me. So it's really important to find a therapist that has healthy boundaries. And I can go into, you am going to go into some questions you could ask? Yeah, of course. Before
0: that, I also really want to touch, I love what you said about siblings. And I think as a teen, when you're approaching the therapy process, I mean, your parents are taking you to appointments, they're paying for this with their insurance. In a lot of ways, it feels like it's not necessarily 100% in your control. Mm. And this resource is for you this is your therapist. It's not your parents' therapist. It's not your siblings. Again, it's for you. And so feeling 100% comfortable with that relationship and your therapist will help set those boundaries with being like, okay, your parents are asking every single session what we talk about, but like, I can't tell them that. It's not going to happen. Yeah. But again, it's it's for you. It's your, your individual. It's your person. And so as a teen, that's possible to have that resource and, and create that great relationship, which is one of the most amazing things about therapy as a teen. And I also think a misconception
1: and a barrier for teens trying to get treatment as well. Mm -hmm. And I wonder for you, like, I've been finding a lot of my teens who've even been in therapy before don't really understand the rules around what parents can know, Mm -hmm. what they should know. We should definitely touch on that. I think the, the number of times that
0: I've heard it from like everyone, I think I like Maybe know most of them, but it's totally also a misconception that, that they'll just tell people things. So first, we'll do mm-hmm. questions to ask your therapist when you're doing that intake meeting, and then the kind of rules of therapy of how, how things are your, your business and no one else's, and, and kind of diving into that.
1: Mm-hmm. So some questions that I would have ready for your therapist is number one, asking them their, who do they work with. So if this person normally sees a bunch of seven-year-olds and you're 17? Probably not going to be the best fit, right? Yeah. Their, their experience, what they're hearing, what they're seeing is not. They'll the have the result. best fidget toys out there, <laughs> but maybe emotionally might not be the right level. <laughs> exactly. They will. They will They'll have all the coloring books, everything yes. that you want, the games, <laughs> but they might not understand the mm-hmm. intricate relationships and what's going on with teams. So, definitely you want to find, ask them the population they're working with. Another good question to ask them is how do they work? So, for me, I really utilize client focus. So meaning that I feel like it's me and the client together, working together. It's not me like a teacher being like, here's your homework. This is what you need to do. Do this by next week. I really want to empower them to take control of their life and they know themselves best. So asking them what's their approach, how do they, what does therapy normally look like with them can tell you a lot about the therapist. And what I would say to that, if a client asked me is what I usually say is I love utilizing things you like. So if you tell me you want, you like to write instead of talk, I'll do the first 10 minutes of you journaling. And then I can pull from that after you Mm -hmm. write. If you like to do art projects, I can bring in art. So really finding someone who is thoughtful and taking the time so you can learn a little bit about a therapist when you ask them what would it look like therapy with you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love it. So before
0: we dive into what therapy is like, I think it's also important to touch on these different types of therapies. We kind of talked about finding a therapist, but I think another thing that's Mm -hmm. a big question mark in the air is there's group therapy. We talked a little bit about potential hospitalization, full hospitalization. So kind of what are these different options? Who are they for? And even kind of before that point, if someone goes to therapy, are they going to be immediately slotted into all of these different things? Or are they safe to go in and talk to someone and not have to fully commit to five years of a treatment protocol?
1: Yes. So there's so many, and I hope there will be more. There's there's so mm-hmm. many different types right now that, that we think about. So what we call outpatient, right? We'll start with that. So yeah. outpatient therapy is we're looking at that once a week, once every other week therapy for an hour session. Another option is group therapy. So Mm -hmm. that looks like even less pressure of the one-on-one conversation. So you're with people around your age who are dealing with the similar things as you. And it's more of a collaborative group. You hear from other people. You support each other. And the one-on-one therapy, that's where we're creating goals like what are you struggling with? What do you want help with? And then we work every week to try to understand and move towards those goals. If it feels like once a week is not enough, you're still struggling a lot, what we might move towards is what we call an IOP. An IOP is intensive outpatient therapy. And now a lot of times this is more of a conversation with the client. I think people get fearful when they hear like, oh, intensive outpatient, Um, like Mm -hmm. that's scary. And really what it is, is it's just trying to give you the support you need. So you'll be able to go to this program for we start at like four days a week or three days depending on what your ne- you need and you do group work and individual therapy. You can meet with a psychiatrist. That's the one who does the medications mm-hmm. and it really is supposed to help give the wraparound services and usually that's after school hours. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they have great
0: snacks, guys. It's yes. not overwhelming. <laughs> Lots of breaks. I did puzzles all the time. It's totally relaxed. It's teens mm-hmm. your age. And so even though this it is this idea of being intensive, there's again that relief that other people are in the same position. They're there to be a resource and they make it accessible to teens and, and not overwhelming. So having been in that in that step as well, which is something which I don't think as many teens have navigated, not scary, not overwhelming. It's, it's mm-hmm. a great
1: resource. And I think you bring up a good point too. Like, intensive therapy to me doesn't mean, oh, we're talking about our feelings the whole time. It mm-hmm. also means forcing us to practice calming skills yeah. and just socializing. And so I think, yeah. you know, even it's in- It's more individual like time therapy, intensive rather than yeah. like emotionally yeah. overwhelming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a really w- good way to put it. And I, I think even in individual therapy, people sometimes, if I start like just chatting, they're like, don't we only need to be talking about feelings and how I'm doing? (laughs) We also need to like build a relationship and I can learn a lot about you by what your interests are and what is going on in your life. Other Mm -hmm. than just how anxious did you feel this week? Um, totally
0: but, I find myself regularly being like you to my therapist you have to see this TikTok <laughs> it was so funny I was laughing for like 45 minutes and she's like oh my god love it I've sent some of your ther- TikToks to her multiple oh times she loves them so kind of all worlds colliding but there's a lot of really casual elements that I don't think you would expect going into it but mm-hmm. they want to hear about the stress who like and we'll talk about what is therapy like and kind of talking about things teens bring to the table but again mm-hmm. reinforcing it's not this overwhelming you're Put in this situation where everything has to be spilled immediately it's, it's a relationship yeah. it's a process this week's podcast episode is brought to you by here comes the break here comes the break is a brand new show coming from iheart radio Def jam and double elvis productions if you love a good come up story then this is the podcast for you here comes the break is a new scripted audio drama like you've never heard before each week you'll hear an incredible story with each episode featuring an exclusive new track from real Def jam artists here comes the break fuses real interviews and real life issues all addressing topics such as mental health friendships hope family and creativity it's like a story within a story here comes the break is starring asante black as reuben and presented by double elvis iheart radio Duff jam and executive producer jake brennan of disgraceland for more on the show the cast and the exclusive soundtrack you can check them out on instagram at, at double elvis or at Def jam Be sure to subscribe on all listening platforms by searching Here Comes the Break for new episodes that drop every Thursday. Mm -hmm. So back to diving into
1: outpatient and more intensive Mm -hmm. options. So we have the outpatient that we talked about. We have an IOP, intensive outpatient. And then we can look at like a partial program. So what a partial program is, is again, I talked about it a little bit earlier in the podcast. It's Mm -hmm. where we're looking. You're there for during the day. So you're there like a school day. And then you're able to go home after and on the weekend. And really what we're looking at is you throughout your day. So we're able to help you if you're having suicidal thoughts or if you're having, if you're feeling really low or feeling really nervous or it's hard to get to school or School yeah. refusal. We'll see a lot of that there where we're able to, where maybe you can keep yourself safe, but you're constantly struggling with these thoughts mm-hmm. and these behaviors. So- and it
0: feels a lot like school too. It's like you're mm-hmm. not learning what you would be learning in school, but we would sit in different classes or groups where we would learn about how to cope ahead for a situation Mm -hmm. what are we would do like fun little parties if everyone um had full attendance that week and we would do like tie-dye together and you're you're getting up you're going somewhere during the day and you're learning about totally different skills than you would be at school but the environment is pretty similar the different therapists that comes in come in it's almost like different teachers and so a familiar environment nothing too crazy but different content
1: that you're learning hmm Exactly. And we had at my partial program an hour where, where you did do schoolwork. So some of my teens are like, oh, Lindsay, how? What? I'm gonna fall so behind in school. It's like there is literally a specific teacher there on it. to yes. help you advocate for mm-hmm. what you need in the school setting. And there mm-hmm. are so many accommodations that can
0: be made. I took an entire semester off of my freshman year I was on a medical leave, which you same thing that happens if you got a really intensive surgery, you had a big accident. But for my mental health and I went to residential treatment and recovered all those credits. I'm going to the University of Pennsylvania next year so it works out. It'll be okay even if you yeah. need need a lot of mental health support. There's a system in place to help you get back on track, recover these credits when your only focus can be your emotional stability and you don't have a lot of resources beyond that so it'll be okay in
1: the moment Mm -hmm. it's very
0: overwhelming another barrier for teens but these are experts they know what they're doing to help you get back on track and re-enter your life more effectively
1: exactly and another so then the next like a higher level of care would be an inpatient Mm -hmm. psychiatric unit so that is when we're looking at someone who really like their parents don't feel safe or we don't feel the hospital deans that they so essentially what happens is you have to go to the emergency room and in the emergency mm-hmm. room a social worker comes and meets you talks to you they make a decision on if they feel like you can't if you if they feel like you can't be safe at home you go to inpatient unit and I think a lot of people get really fearful of this because of media because it's yeah. unknown like we don't really know what it looks like there's a dark history it. in the mental health industry we've come mm-hmm. so far but there's also that a lot of that
0: that still is a lot of stigma i know when i went to mclean yeah. that was what girl interrupted was about it was that hospital it was an asylum before and i was like, this is gonna be so bad this is gonna be a disaster totally mm-hmm. not what it's like there i'll let you finish your your spiel and mm-hmm. inflation and then add but yeah again there, it makes sense why those anxieties are there and those fears. Oh, yeah. We hear more about that than we do of what it's really like, and for privacy reasons too. No one's gonna be mm-hmm. like, "Here's my weekly vlog of inpatient." That's not yeah. a thing. So it totally exactly. makes sense.
1: Yeah. So in inpatient unit, you you sleep there. It's the average stay is like five days, three to five days. Now it's gotten shorter um, mm-hmm. over the time over time, but essentially they're there just to help you feel stable. And when you feel stable and the team thinks that you're stable, they will transition you again to one of those lower levels I was talking about. And Mm -hmm. now if you're someone who it feels like we're in and out of inpatient units or things aren't really clicking and you're still really struggling, that's when we might move to a residential program, which I know that you can speak on too, but that's where it's a little bit longer term and trying to help you in a instead of going through all these different programs in one space and giving you a lot Mm -hmm. of that support.
0: Totally. And inpatient, just like outpatient, similar things where you're lots of groups during the day, lots of learning different things, but you're getting out of crisis mode. And it's a lot of of wearing your PJs. It's a lot of movie watching, a lot of cafeteria meals. Your parents can come and visit you so you're not totally Mm -hmm. alone. Everyone is so compassionate. In my experience, you have great teams of nurses and doctors and social workers and people that just want to help you. And again, it's not 24-7 therapy. They'll let you sleep, eat, do your thing, um, yeah. bring your books, read whatever you want to do to kind of get out of that crisis space. So even though it is more time intensive, it's you're not going to be completely emotionally overwhelmed because that purpose is to get you out of that crisis place mm-hmm. and get back to your environment or get to a new environment that will help you eventually get out of that place. So. I think amazing breakdown something that's so confusing if you haven't been in treatment before so it's mm-hmm. super helpful. So what is therapy like? Something that you wouldn't always know unless you've been in therapy. So super big question mark brings lots of anxiety. Mm-hmm. I think it makes sense to first talk about what to expect when you go to your first therapy session and then we mm-hmm. can go more into what are common things that teens want to talk about and what are things that could be helpful to talk about. So first, you make your appointment, you're ready to go.
1: What do you expect to expect? What's going to happen? Yes. The first session is very boring. That's what I tell (laughs) them. It's totally true. (laughs) Right? When I have someone come in, I'm like, this is going to be the most boring session that you are a part of. Mm -hmm. It's really history collecting, right? So I'm trying to learn about you. That's the first session. And I think some fears that I hear a lot of is like, what do I say? What if there's an awkward silence? What if, like, What if if I don't want to share yet? And Mm -hmm. as a therapist, I know people aren't telling me everything in the first session. I'm a stranger staring at you, asking you questions that you don't even tell your parents or your friends. Mm-hmm. So yeah. totally feel like your own pace. Some of some people tell me everything. Some people are very like closed off, and that's okay. That's all part of your process and your process is gonna look different than other people's. Mm-hmm. So the first session there was a lot of history collecting questions, like what were your what are your grades? what are you, what's it like with your friends? What's your relationship mm-hmm. with your family? What's the history of you struggling um, with your thoughts or behaviors? And it's a lot more of just me trying to see what what you look like in your environment and assess how you're feeling and where you think you sh- you are struggling. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: as someone comes in, they tell me all this information. Then together, we'll make a plan of what is the biggest thing that you feel like is impacting you. And let's start there and start working at that through the next session.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And totally, like you just
0: said, it's what what do you want to work on? It's not like your parents told me your grades are bad. How are we going to do this? It's going to be, so Mm -hmm. what do you want out of this? What are you hoping to change or improve or shift? And I think for me, a lot of times, my parents would be like, you really got to work on this. And I'd go into therapy and be like, my parents are so annoying. I really want like, how do I get navigate this? What can I do to like make this conversation more effective? So again, it's your resource. It's not your mm-hmm. parents. It's not your friends. It's not your teachers. It's for you. So what are some things that you hear all the time that teens want to work on in therapy? Common things that they're like, this is my focus for anyone who's kind of at a loss and is like, I don't know, I want some help, but I don't know what direction to go. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as that, what are what are some common things?
1: My first thing usually that I work with is just getting to know our feelings because I think we talk a lot about what happens to your body physically during puberty. We mm-hmm. don't talk about what happens emotionally. Oh, yeah. They're like, um, you might feel more sensitive. Yeah. It's not helpful. <laughs> no. So I navigate that, right? And I, I do a lot with, with people just like, let's first learn about yourself, where you're at who you want to be. It's so confusing. In your teen years, you're supposed to try on these different hats and see like, is this who I am? Is this who I want to be? You are supposed to take risks. So I teach teens how to take healthy risks because that is a part of growing, right? And so Mm -hmm. what I'm hearing so many teens come in though is a lot of low mood, a lot of lack of uh, motivation, a lot of pressure, feeling so much pressure, whether it's social pressure, academic pressure, body image pressure, performance, I'm I'm just hearing so much fear of making mistakes, of living mm-hmm. life, of um, I'm not enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not far enough in life. A compare and I, I like to say the thing about social media is instead of how it used to be where you compare yourself to your neighbors or the kids in your class, yeah. you guys are comparing yourselves to people to a whole world, literally, yeah. of people putting out filtered and best highlight reels of their yeah. lives and you're a lot of people are saying like, look at this, look at this. This is all the stuff that I'm not included in. So I'm just hearing a yeah. lot of negative self-talk and a lot of comparison. I think another fear that comes with therapy is that you'll be judged.
0: Touching mm-hmm. on that. You go to mm-hmm. therapy, you're like, this happened. I, whether you feel like you you made a mistake, you feel like you're, you're f- sharing these really vulnerable things that you're not mm-hmm. good enough, these thoughts you're having that can be really overwhelming, these inter- interactions you might feel guilt about
1: are you going to be judged if you go to therapy? I think that what I love about therapists is we did a lot of work on ourselves Mm -hmm. and understanding ourselves and not judging ourselves about our mistakes, about ourselves and our lives. And we hear and do this all day. So you are not going to be judged. All I do is I really just want to understand what's going on, what you're thinking, and be there for you. We care about our clients. If I'm with a client that I feel like I'm not clicking with and it's not working, mm-hmm. I will refer them to another therapist. Like that's my my obligation as a therapist yeah. to do, to make sure that if it's a good fit. So I know so many people are fearful of being judged and that goes back to this whole fear of making mistakes and comparison aspect, Mm -hmm. where that is absolutely not what it's like in a therapy room. And if it Mm -hmm. feels like that, try a different therapist because it should never (laughs) feel like that. Mm -hmm. Um, You really, really, it's a space where you should be able to be your authentic self and explore who you are without the fear of being judged. I think we got to work on it when people first come in because of the social norms of that. Like, watch what you say. What should you do? People are judging you. In the therapist room, it takes a lot for someone to say something that I haven't heard before, especially teenagers. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. like you've never, Lindsay, no, like they're like, I just, I know I don't, I don't want to tell you this, but they'll say something I've heard like three times that week. I'm <laughs> like, obviously, in the moment, I'm like, oh, thank you for telling me. It must been really hard. But mm-hmm. I'm like, I wish you knew that this yeah. is so common, mm-hmm. and you are carrying this burden. Like this is so bad. I'm having these thoughts, or this is so bad that I did this thing where. I'm like, you could have told me that three weeks ago and it would
0: have been fine. (laughs) Totally, totally. Mm -hmm. And so
1: I loved what you said about taking healthy risks as a
0: teenager. I think that's another thing is that, again, your parents are somewhat involved in this therapy process. There's this fear of judgment and, and you're talking about things, behaviors that you kind of worry for some individuals getting in trouble for if you're taking these healthy Mm -hmm. risks you're you might be talking about romantic relationships we'll we'll talk next about what are like the rules of therapy and how that can't be shared but I think that's another fear is if you go to therapy it'll be like you can't do any of these things you're going to get up at 6 a.m every day and meditate Mm -hmm. and think about your emotions all day and this is how it's going to work to feel better Mm -hmm. so what is that is that kind of stereotype true that you're going to be told what you can and
1: can't do and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. I'm going to be very thoughtful about this and say that I'm going to preface this with, there are a million amazing therapists out there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There like any profession, there are some that are not good. Like yeah. I'm just going to be blank totally about true. it. Like call mm-hmm. it what it is. I think it's always great to, and I will we'll get into this later, ask your therapist what their rules are around mm-hmm. informing your parents of things. I think too, what I hear a lot of teens talking to me about with, coming out Mm -hmm. and gender and thinking about just some topics that are maybe they're fearful of their family's opinions on. I just say like, I just want to be very clear, like making sure you feel comfortable with your therapist and asking them and gaining their trust. And then being able to share some more of the stuff that you're fearful of your parents knowing with that also comes healthy risks around Drinking, drugs, sexuality, Mm -hmm. like becoming sexually active. This is a space where your therapist is supposed to be there again to help you, Mm -hmm. help you navigate that world. And so if you are with a therapist you trust and you've met with them and you take the time. To get to know them then I definitely feel like it's different than talking to a parent and that's totally. what surprises teens a lot they're like oh my gosh I thought you were gonna tell me like <laughs> I shouldn't be doing this and I'm like no I'm not gonna yeah. do that I'm very much therapists take like an educational approach like here's the risk mm-hmm. you know the risk yeah make a choice and then we talk about that choice so if you were like oh my yeah. gosh I was drinking and I drink too much and I embarrassed myself I'm not going to be like oh my gosh last week I told you (laughs) we shouldn't be drinking I'm going to say like what do you think about that choice like what Mm -hmm. let's talk about it how did we get to making that choice is that what can we learn from this is there something you can change in the future when you um, are at a party so Mm -hmm. I think keeping I think being mindful of the fact of making sure it's a therapist that you align with and then you can feel comfortable talking about more of those healthy risks that we were speaking on.
0: Totally. I I think that's something that's so important to remember and definitely something that scares a lot of people. Vulnerability is really overwhelming and especially in therapy, when you're talking about all these things. And I think once you get through those first couple of sessions, you'll really be able to see that it's, it's a totally different dynamic and relationship than you've probably experienced in the past. And even just in those moments, taking those healthy risks of telling someone those emotions that you're feeling, you're, you're practicing the muscle vulnerability. You're working on mm-hmm. these skills that you're doing in therapy. And so all around helpful in your journey. This week's episode is sponsored by Teen Counseling. I cannot tell you guys how many DMs, texts, emails I get from teens, parents, even friends asking how can I find a therapist, how can I enroll in therapy, how can I find a therapist for my teen, how do I tell my parents I want to go to therapy. That's why I'm partnering with Teen Counseling. Teen Counseling is an online therapy program with over 14,000 licensed therapists in their network. They offer support on things like depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, and more, and it's all targeted at teens. They offer text, talk, and video counseling. So no matter what level of support you're looking for, they got you. You're going to go to teencounseling.com slash persisted. You'll fill out a quick survey about what your goals are for therapy, whether that's improving your mental health during the pandemic, working on your relationship with your parents, improving self-esteem, whatever it is, they'll match you with therapists that fit your needs. You'll enter your information and your parents' information. Your parents will get a super discreet email saying your child's interested in working with a licensed therapist at teencounseling.com. They head to the website, learn a little bit more about the program, and a preview to work with a therapist, and from there, you can meet with that therapist on a frequency that works for you. This is a great way to dip your toe into the therapy world and get support when you need it without having to go into an office, meet with a therapist, meet with a stranger, and go through all of that for the first time. So you can go to teencounseling.com slash persisted. Again, that's teencounseling.com slash persisted to get started today. So rules of therapy. HIPAA is something that people are not always aware of. So you're a teen getting therapy. Can your parents know things? Can they ask things? Can your teacher call you up and be like, what's happening in these sessions?
1: What is that like? Mm -hmm. So with HIPAA, if you're a teenager, the only time your therapist really should be telling your parents anything is when you're a danger to yourself or someone else. So, we're looking at if you're having suicidal thoughts, then we just have to create a safety plan. Like, really, the only time they should be bringing your parents in is if you are we're fearful of harm, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And in my
0: experience, they'll kind of have that be a conversation with you. They'll mm -hmm. be like, I'm worried about this. What do you think about bringing your parents in to create this resource? It's not like you're going to show up one day and both parents are sitting there ready to dive into it. You'll be part of this conversation. And they'll
1: Mm -hmm. they'll be like, I'm
0: thinking about bringing this up with your parents. What do you think? It's super transparent, super open. Mm -hmm. This is your person again.
1: Yes, they, they should be in your corner. Again, like you said, my clients are not my client, my, my clients are not my clients' parents. My client mm-hmm. is my client, and I think that some people tell me, "Well, oh no, my mom won't. Well, like if I go to therapy, she's gonna have to know what's going on in the room." And what I say to that is, we usually talk about that. I've made rules with parents before. We're like, "Listen, I will give you a after talking to my client first. So I talk to my teen client. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, you're telling me mom is gonna grill you with questions or demand that I tell her things. So let's come up with a plan. And usually, what that would look like for me is. Is it okay if I tell mom generally what we're working on mm-hmm. and then she is not allowed to ask you questions about therapy at all on the way home ever. And usually parents then it calms their anxiety of like you're in a room <laughs> with an adult and I don't know what's going on. Yeah. And if I'm able to say we're working on worries, right? So if you tell me, oh my gosh, Lindsay, like this happened this drama and this with my boyfriend, I'm not going to go out and tell your mom all the details <laughs> But I'm going to say we worked on relationships and how to communicate and how, to handle when things aren't great. And that allows the parent to understand, okay, you're working on stuff. I'm in the know. I know if something is going on and it allows the the child the ability to not worry about all these questions they're going to receive or if I'm telling their parents something different. I always say it's up to my clients if, if they want to be there every time I talk to their parent. I allow that. So mm-hmm. I really allow my clients to be the ones to say like, to lead it if we're bringing parents in totally.
0: And I think another great kind of I don't I wouldn't say resource but another thing you can lean on that is less vulnerable. It's something that is more societally acceptable if your parents are like what's going on in therapy. School stress It's overwhelming. It's something we all deal with. You're not getting into those relationships or emotions, but it's still Mm -hmm. something that you probably will talk about at some point in therapy. It's something that you're building skills around, anyways. Mm -hmm. So, kind of coming up with a list of things that you would be okay just rattling off, even if you're not getting into the details, whether that's school stress, you're like, I'm trying to figure out what I want to do in college, or I'm Mm -hmm. trying to figure out what I might want to do in the future, who I want to become, and all that kind of stuff. So, figuring out What are some options of things you can disclose that you feel comfortable with? And if you Mm -hmm. don't feel comfortable at all, your therapist will help you learn how to set those boundaries because that's exactly what therapy is there to do. So we talked about therapists are not always the right fit. It's a relationship just like anything. You're not going to vibe with everyone. It's not going to be perfect in every single relationship and it shouldn't be forced in therapy because that's just Mm -hmm. not how relationships work. So you go to therapy is there Mm -hmm. a certain number of sessions you should do before you decide if someone's a good fit?
1: Yeah, I think just like relationships, right? There can be some red flags. And Mm -hmm. again, you're allowed to have an opinion and ask your therapist questions. And especially this year, I've been talking way more about systemic issues. I've been talking way more about racial trauma. And when we're looking Mm -hmm. at sessions, with a therapist, if you feel like they are invalidating you a lot, that's kind of a red flag. Yeah. If you are feeling mm-hmm. uncomfortable, that's a red flag. If you feel like you ask, like they're telling your parents things, after, and that's again, we just talked mm-hmm. about not allowed legally, the therapist can get in trouble. Yes. With that. Yes. So know that. <laughs> that's not just like, oh, it's good for therapists. Like, that's legally our obligation yeah. not to tell no, to your parents. Not, can't happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, if you're really (laughs) feeling like it is not a good fit, I would say give it three to five sessions. If at at around that time, you're still Mm -hmm. like, like all these red flags are popping up and you're not feeling comfortable, then I would definitely say it's time to move on. And sometimes it is just like the person, like I'm a very bubbly talkative person and that doesn't work for Mm -hmm. everyone. So people need someone who's just calm and way more of a listener and less like interactive. And that's okay. So Again, if some if that's what you need, if that's the fit that you need, that's great. You should find that. We are providing you a service. You are the the person in charge. And if you feel like you're not getting enough out of it or you're not feeling comfortable, then it is it's your choice to definitely look elsewhere. I've had clients who are like, Lindsay, you're great. I think you're awesome. I just feel like I need someone else. And that's okay. That happens to everyone. So just making sure that you can advocate for yourself.
0: Totally. And so what is the process of I guess breaking up with the therapist? Do you mm-hmm. send an email? Do you dump it on your parents to do? Do you go into the session and do you have that conversation? How would you approach that, that kind of switching therapist process? Mm-hmm.
1: My community, if anyone on here is from my follows, my TikToks, I love mm-hmm. the saying like baby steps. Like I mm-hmm. always say that things are, even anxiety loves to be big and scary, right? Ambiguous. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my gosh, I have to break up with my therapist. That's so scary. When you break it down to smaller parts, it's like, okay, I've decided that I don't want to see this person anymore. If it's someone that you've only seen for three to five sessions, an email is totally fine. And just, I even will give you wording of just saying like, I feel statements, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, and you, Keep it cordial. Like, I feel thankful for our time together and I am ready to move on. So thank you for our sessions. I will not be needing any more sessions in the future. And that's it. And like just very short, clear, concise. That's all you need. If it's someone you've been seeing for like six months, a year. Yeah. Again, you can email them. That's totally fine. It's really what you feel comfortable with. I think it's a good growing behavior to try to do it in person. But I know some Mm -hmm. people tell me like that's just too scary. And that's okay. Because the important thing is that you get your needs met. So if you're like, nope, email is what I'm going to do. That's fine. Maybe let's make it a little bit more lengthy. Like, thank you for your time. And I loved working with you. I appreciated working Mm -hmm. with you. I um, love that
0: we covered these topics. Mm-hmm. I really improved my ability to recognize emotions, something like that. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Just keep it. Throw in a little, a, a few sentences of Pat, what you, you think on you've the grown. Where <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you think you've grown, but then if, if you want to do it in person, you could just say again, like I feel like I've outgrown these sessions. Like I've, like, this is like you just said. These are the things that have been super helpful, and I'm ready to try something different. And when we were Mm -hmm. talking earlier about the different types of therapy, that's another approach as well. So, if you're doing all this CBT therapy, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, like when you think about it, that's really good for someone, for some people. But if you have trauma or different things, like that's not as helpful. So, you want to be doing more trauma informed therapy. DBT is really good for people who struggle with suicidal thoughts or people who struggle with feeling in crisis a lot. Like, they do Mm -hmm. a lot of really great mindfulness techniques and crisis management and communication stuff. So too, that could be the other piece of what this therapist is providing has been enough. And now you want to try something different.
0: Totally. Okay. So you're, we've talked about first, what is therapy, what to expect, what are the different types of therapy, how to switch therapists, kind of wrapping it up. What are your favorite resources for teens? We've talked about finding therapy, if that's an option for you, if someone is already in therapy or if they are going to pursue that option or they're not ready for it, what are some other ways that teens can improve their mental health, get support, Mm -hmm. all of that kind of stuff? Yeah.
1: So my number one thing is obviously we're all on social media and so I do think that social media can be a great resource for people. My only reminder is don't believe every don't take everything for face value, right? So yeah. if you're looking following someone who's an advocate, that's great and that can be super helpful. Reminding yourself that they're not licensed, but that doesn't mean that their stuff can't be really like impactful and important. Even myself, like everyone no one should be just taking what I post for face value and being like, oh, this is factual, yeah. like this is it. We really want to be mindful if we're using the internet that we are checking credentials and and second guessing what people yeah. are putting out there. Really being a critical consumer. Mm-hmm. I think that that's very important. But and again, both can be true, right? A little mm-hmm. Um, love it love it <laughs> places, great people on social media and it can be super helpful and we just need to pay attention to what we're intaking and do our research if you find like oh my gosh this is what I feel like I totally relate to this doing research and understanding mm-hmm. so social media I think is great following some people if you are not ready to go to therapy but you're looking for ways to feel better social media cleanse. keeping on the social media path Yes. unfollow anyone who doesn't make you feel good about yourself follow people who do make you feel good about yourself We you can always go back and follow those people again yeah. hiding people from your timelines if you just got in a huge fight with your friend and you're no longer friends going and looking at their snapchat location going and looking at their story is not going to be mm-hmm. helpful so t- setting up boundaries for yourself making sure like the calm app there's apps that can be super super helpful practicing some mindfulness practicing journaling writing how you feel like those are some really good resources there's a thing thing called therapistaid.com I really like therapist aid they have so many psychoeducation so information on what is depression what is anxiety and anyone with ADHD there's something called attitude with 2ds that's really good for ADHD and there's some chad with 2ds or which is really good for. ADHD and they have like what it's like as a teen to have ADHD. Mm -hmm. So so those are some resources that I really like that's out there.
0: What are your thoughts on crisis chat, crisis call lines? Is that something for teens in the moment that you are like, yeah, this is great. Use this resource. or you're like, lean on people around you, lean on teachers, family, friends, Mm -hmm. all of that kind of stuff.
1: If you are in crisis, my number one thing would be to try to tell an adult who will listen and take it seriously? If it that doesn't have an, to be your parents. Uh, no, no, it can be an aunt, <laughs> an uncle, it can be mm-hmm. an older sibling, it can be a cousin. But I think the number one thing is letting someone know, and even saying it out loud can cause a little bit like that relief. Yeah, so totally. I definitely think that is like my first recommendation. And if that is not school, teachers are great too. If you feel really close to a teacher, the school social worker, school psychologist, if you have one. Mm-hmm. Um, your counselor. I think crisis lines are great. I think, again, it's, it's a great resource there. So if you are feeling like you don't have anyone else to talk to, crisis lines are really good. If I have any clients who go into crisis, I always make sure they have crisis hotline numbers in their phone. Mm-hmm. But my number one thing would definitely be to tell someone that you know. Totally.
0: So I want to hear, before we wrap up, your top three favorite mental health tips slash recent mm. obsessions of sorts for you. And it can be anything, whether it's like a beauty product,
1: a book you're loving, a movie, a habit, whatever it is that you're loving, what are your top three? Number one would be taking walks. I think getting outside in some aspect. So i walk with my clients if they want love to. Like, mm-hmm. I, and you can ask your therapist to do that too. I've gone so snowboarding
0: I, with my therapist before. So all that. the things, all the things, there are so
1: many ways they can meet you where you're at mm-hmm. so movement I've really really loved movement I think that's been great I'm a big advocate for the saying three self-positives every day I make my fiance do it sometimes too I love um, it and he like thinks I'm joking and I'm like no really no like, no what it, this what is are happening three things that you like about yourself and he's like oh why am I engaged to a therapist um, <laughs> no but I think that's super helpful to to force yourself to remind yourself why you love yourself because we're so fixated on what do I need to get better at? What am I doing wrong? Taking time to say, what do I really love about myself yeah. is super important. So those are my two. And then my third one, which is not really related directly to, oh, this is a mental health skill, is I've been really trying to take care of my hair. Mm-hmm. And so I've been doing a lot of like asking my followers and trying to engage with them a bit more about how do I take care of parts of me. So yeah. I got into skincare I tried to doing that and now I'm working on my hair a little bit so that's I the love way. it that I'm thing. always I have the thinnest hair and then I also struggled <laughs> with trick for a
0: while so if you ever get the thickening mm. your hair tips let me know I need them but I love it I think this is one of my favorite episodes and something that any teen can relate to and use and resonate with and so much value so much information and really just the perfect teen therapy resource so thank you so much for joining
1: me Thank you for having
0: me. Of course. Last thing, where can people find you? Where can they find you on social media, online, Mm -hmm. all of that?
1: So you can find me on TikTok at Lindsay Fleming LPC and on Instagram. My podcast is being revamped and it should be coming out like end of June, early July, hopefully, fingers crossed. Mm -hmm. So I will have a podcast hopefully coming out soon. But for now, those are the places you can find me. So it's Lindsay.fleming LPC and Lindsay underscore Fleming LPC on Instagram.
0: Amazing. And then I'll update this description when the podcast comes out. So if people Yay. listen to this month down the line, they can find it as well. Thank awesome. you again so much for sitting down with me and having this discussion. So much fun and an amazing resource.
1: Of course. Thanks for having me.
0: In case you skipped the end to recap, Lindsay and I discussed her path to becoming a therapist, all sorts of different levels of treatment, outpatient, inpatient, partial hospitalization, intensive outpatient, group therapy, individual therapy, family therapy, how to talk to your parents about seeing a therapist, common things that teens bring to therapy, what to expect in therapy, how to break up with your therapist, and so much more. This is your resource as a teen on all things therapy and getting therapy as a teen, so I hope you enjoyed this episode.